It's like a dream of mine to tear to sure. completely blow out and like have to restructure my knee. We've communicated yeah. and said, you know what? Lion tastes good. Let's go get some more lion. Cindy! The TV's leaking! McLovin? Yeah. Today is Thomas Cup's birthday, and this is Project X. Yo. Are we live now? Oh, we are. Oh, my God. All right. Well, you're listening to Birdcore. I'm your host, Sam Bird. And as always, I'm joined by uh, Kit Corsini, who is uh, he's a walk-on producer. He's, he wasn't supposed to be part of the show, but here he is. And uh, my other producer, Jenny, is late, but that's okay. We're not going to hold it against her. Well, today's a special episode of Birdcore. That's because the first time we have a live in-studio guest. And I'll introduce them one by one. So today I'm joined by three gentlemen. One is an award-winning cinematographer who loves biking and travels so much that he's flown a total distance of roughly five times the circumference of planet Earth, Phil Lemoyne. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. It's my pleasure. Another is an executive producer who is a matcha-in-the-morning kind of guy, likes biking around the city, a crisp ice bath, and a good game of chess. Not necessarily in that order. Josh Buxton. Josh, what's going on, man? Not bad, Sam. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. Good. Thank you. And finally, a creative director who I've been told I look like. Uh, I can't seem to figure out if he likes biking as well, but I'm going to assume he does like biking. Josh Willick. Josh, how are you doing today? What's up, twin? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. <laughs> it was actually it was Phil who told me that we looked alike. Hey, like kinda, like vague resemblance, maybe yeah, second cousins. That's, that's good for me, bad for you, my friend. Shit, but I'll take it. Faces for radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now here we are on the radio, so I guess it worked. Some worked out. So together, these three fellas make up Ten Four, a Toronto-based production company specializing in bringing your vision to life, whether it be a music video, commercial, short film, anything related to videography and branded content. Look no further than Ten Four. You can go to Ten Four Pictures, spelled T-E-N-F-O-U-R dot Pictures, for more details and to see some of their work. Guys, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate Thanks for having it. Having us, Sam. You're the first in-studio guest I've ever had. Sweet. No pressure, I guess. Setting the bar high for you. What's that? Setting the bar high for you. I guess so, yeah. So if this doesn't work out, I'm quitting. I'm dropping out of school. It's done after that. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess we'll jump right into it because we only have until 12 o'clock. So uh, I need to hear the story. How did 10-4 start? Yeah, I guess it was, yeah, it was Willick and I from the beginning. We were, we met in uh, Ryerson's media production program. We were undergrad classmates and... We had worked on a project together that we realized, like, hey, we're, like, friends and work pretty well creatively as well. He was, like, working as a director on the video project, and I was working as the cinematographer, which I had been doing for a while. And so we were like, you know what? Let's kind of keep this collaboration going. And we had been throwing around the idea, you know, let's let's invest in a little bit of equipment, just something nice to kind of, like, upgrade what we were doing kind of better than what the school equipment was that we had available to us. And that was kind of the beginning and end of it. It was just, like, we were doing this for ourselves. And then as time went on, we were getting a bit more serious about it. And my old roommate from first year, Pittman Hall, Joshua Buxton, reached out. He caught wind of what we were doing, and he also knew Josh Willick from that same environment. We all lived in Pittman Hall together. And he was just like, hey, guys, like, heard what you're doing. You know, I'm in marketing. I'm in business school, that sort of thing. These are the skills I can lend to you. How about I take this from just kind of two creatives to an actual business? And maybe, Buxton, you can speak on it from there, how you grew the brand. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I, I sort of, I sort of came in and uh, wanted to sort of take two really talented creatives and sort of legitimize the whole thing, I guess. 
and uh, you know build a strong brand behind it and just basically take the business skills that I had and apply it to people that usually don't have access to that um, especially you know if you're in uh, if you're in film most people are you know not working with people in business backgrounds uh, mm-hmm. especially when you're at a small level so um, my goal is to really just like build up the brand uh, you know develop a develop a bit of a community around it and um, you know actually use a you know t- take an a take an approach to it that goes a little bit beyond just making cool videos but actually finding a way to make money doing it and you know be professional about it yeah when did you guys first start making money like when did that first paycheck come in what was that feeling like uh it felt it felt like crack it was really good (laughs) um it was uh it was awesome we um when we first started out we uh it was like middle of you know the first wave of the the covid pandemic yeah, like march 2020 was when this first was building up oh man. yeah so it was actually like literally illegal uh according to the ontario government to uh to film anything or you know i guess you go to work your generally yeah, yeah. And we were like watching the news it was like okay when's the new like restrictions coming out stuff like that and like building off that for a second we were really lucky. I forgot about this till right now, actually, that like the film industry was one of the main industries that was actually allowed to go ahead as an essential service. Yeah. So it in meant, the following waves. Exactly. Right. So like, you know, stage two or three, whatever it was at the time, we sort of went, oh, OK, like we're actually allowed to work. And like, for example, my roommate, he's a chef like, you know, his industry was pretty shuttered and as were many others. But like we were able to go ahead. And so kind of mid-pandemic we started growing this thing working within the restrictions that were there at the time and it took off yeah yeah so basically basically right as uh you know right as it was permissible to start filming we did start filming Mm -hmm. um and uh i think we broke even on our initial investment within less than six months um so we did we did get things going pretty quickly after we got started is that generally fast after six months to, to break even? Yeah, it's like, extremely fast. Yeah. So at that point, did you guys start feeling like, okay, this can this can really become something? Like, I think we got something here. Let's keep rolling with it. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say there were, like, different stages to it, too. Like, we started off where it was like, okay, we had the first idea. All right, then we're going to invest in the gear. Okay, so we got the gear. We're going to start doing this now. We're doing this. This is working. Okay, we've paid it off. All right, now we can focus on doing things that, like, look good creatively for us. Right. right. Like, start making money on the side but like we weren't worried about the bottom line at that point where it's like okay we've got the gear that's paid off everything is air quotes technically profit at that point so it's yeah, like it was risk-free yeah exactly so like you know we were able to have a bit more flexibility there and then at that time we were just kind of like three contractors three individuals doing this together and then after our first calendar year per se our fiscal year we were like you know what this is working. Let's turn this into an actual corporation. And that's where mm. the ink got in added to the yeah. end of 10-4 pictures. <laughs> and at that point, it was it firmly formalized the partnership that we had, three equal owners, and we've been running the corporation in that structure ever since. And your team, I know you guys got some people working behind the scenes too. How uh, I know you got some, got some people in Montreal, you got, uh, but they're really more behind the scenes, right? Like how, how much has your team expanded? 
yeah it's it's kind of funny because like behind 10-4 like it it is us three mm-hmm. <clears throat> um but then we have this like you know that's kind of like the inner circle and then like we have this second circle of people who we work just really really close with in toronto like there are a couple guys uh shout out tom jenga he's he's one who's always been working with us um pretty much ever since we started up actually on our first music video he was there yeah and then our first music video in montreal our homie uh fab he was working with us quite closely on that so fab's kind of always been there too in this like second circle of people who um you know ultimately they're like contractors who we we hire but um it's a bit of a family it it is kind of a little yeah a little community that we've had the pleasure of working in with all these people who have just really helped us out and have been loving what we're doing and it's grown between the two cities too because like while we're based out of toronto i'm from montreal originally and i have a pretty close tie to the film community there so like he was saying fab that was our first music video we ever did really that was a 10-4 picture which is kind of the moniker we give to our productions and it was a last minute thing where he's like hey my producer just screwed me i don't think this project can happen and then like two days before we're like we can load up all the gear into a car drive on Mm -hmm. out to montreal and shoot this thing for you and that's exactly what we did and so we've fostered that kind of culture between the two cities and while we're doing a lot of our commercial-based productions here in toronto there's a lot of i'd say more culturally or arts focused stuff we're doing in montreal for example like our first feature film was done out of montreal with our team there we have a fantastic producer mariev who handled all that for us remotely and then you know i went in to shoot that type thing we were with a team of all basically french canadians and so we really do keep that balance between what we're doing in each industry. And would you say that you guys are more, are you focused on staying in Toronto? Or I know you guys do a lot of traveling. Um, like, would you want to take the brand and establish yourself in multiple cities? Or are you focused on being, are you are you focused on up and coming in Toronto and establishing yourself here? I think we've definitely established ourselves here. And it's just where it goes like you know at this point a lot of our work that's being done in toronto we're starting to see a global outreach with it you know magic of the internet Mm -hmm. but also like last summer we shot the or was it last summer two summers ago we shot the lansdowne music video for lisa and that was on billboards in times square and across the u.s la so it's like the work's starting to get seen around the world and then like josh willick and i we went out to the netherlands to shoot the singer's music video and that was a fantastic week with like a local band that we had connected with there and we went out for that production so while we are firmly rooted in toronto and our production scene is here we're already starting to do that global aspect with it so where it's going to go i don't know but maybe i see us becoming a sid lee type thing different presence different cities around the world i don't know yeah Yeah, you you could say that we're like everywhere and nowhere at the same time (laughs) like right now a lot of the a lot of the people that we're working with especially on the commercial side they're based all over the country in you know sometimes in the u.s sometimes in different continents um and you know it's it's the type of it's the type of business that is you know like i said before just happening everywhere all at once yeah as it uh, especially as it you know expands and grows into uh, bigger things right do you guys see yourself uh maybe like pursuing tv or film like would you be open to for example someone writes a script would you guys be open to having people pitch to you and then you adapt that into 
you know, whether it be a TV series or a movie? Like, is that something you guys see yourself going into? <laughs> We've get, done exactly I get new that. Yeah. Probably every week. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and what's that process like? Well, a lot of it comes down to just where the financing is at. Right. Like, you know, some people come to us with financing already lined up, and that's makes it a lot easier to have that conversation. But people that are coming in, like Buxton said, just kind of blind pitching. Like I've seen some horrifically bad stuff, but I've seen some good stuff too. And but it all comes down to what they're looking for. Like often they're kind of just cold calling in a sense, may it be LinkedIn, email, whatever, just trying to find someone to get their project off the ground with them. Yeah. And, you know, we're not at a point where it's like, okay, we're going to take someone randomly that's approached us and like find financing for them. But if someone comes in with that financing already lined up or, you know, they just need that final push or whatever, then that's something we can work on. Like the, the feature film, for example, we did, that was a director that I've known through uh, that producer, Mariev, and he came to us basically saying, like, hey, I've got this script. I've got my financing lined up. We just need to attach a production company to it. We need to have a formal operation behind this. And it's like, okay, not only are we the ones that are producing that film for him, we're also giving that final attachment that the project needs to actually get it off the ground. So it's it's very intertied, like, the, the way that sort of thing works. And, you know, the reality is, like, Willick and I were both firmly in film that's something we want to do for our lives but it's not always the most profitable thing so you know just sometimes in terms of paying your rent type thing yeah you know it's the balance of doing the commercial jobs and then doing the stuff that's more creative that you enjoy like right now i'm working on a film that like i developed closely with a screenwriter and you know sometimes you go out of pocket on that sort of stuff to get it off the ground till the money comes in or whatever but it's so gratifying when you see what you've created to actually come to screen and that's why it's worth it yeah well yeah i guess speaking of gratifying you were saying when you saw that your music video for Lansdowne, down times square like what's that feeling like it's a very Shocking. strange feeling yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of weird to see are you like looking at strangers and going like yeah we shot that like someone walking by with their kid it, it's literally the meme of the dude at the party like they don't know like the dude <laughs> holding the solo cup <laughs> in the corner he's I mean, like they don't know it's there's so much of that where it's like you know you could do a giant campaign or you could do a music video or you could do whatever and it's like so many eyes are on it like I think so far in my life, if I was to like average it out, there's probably been like three to five million people that have seen my work. They would never know me in the street. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's like there, there's no connection between like someone seeing your work in the broader audience and like getting any level of acknowledgement. Like sometimes, you know, um, for example, a film that I've done will go to YouTube or something like that. And I'll kind of look if, like, any comments are talking about the cinematography. There's usually, like, one in 50 yeah. that even mention it. Yeah. But, like, when someone does see it, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, it's, it's fun that someone acknowledged that. But the reality is, like, the people that are going to see your stuff that are, like, actually going to look at it on a more technical level are probably in the industry with you already. Someone sees it on your Instagram. Like, you know, for example, Will could post something that we shot and, like, another creative reaches out to him and say, like, mm. oh, dude, I love what you did there, that sort of thing. And him as a director, that work is a lot more important to see from, like, a portfolio perspective. And same thing with me as a cinematographer. Mm. It's like, you know, it's the joke of, like, oh, you're always posting stills. As a cinematographer, you're always putting up your stills. You're showing off your stills because that's what people come to know you by, the mm -hmm. work that you put out publicly. And it's something I tell a lot of young creatives, like, 
Instagram is not just a platform for socializing, especially in our industry. It's your calling card. It's LinkedIn yeah, to an extent. Yeah, we've had this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in in reference to the Times Square thing, though, like, I mean, it really was put into perspective for me. Like, I mean, when I first saw that, I think I sent it to you guys. I think I sent a chat to you guys when it happened or like when it was like uploaded by the artist that, you know, that was a thing. And I was just like walking out of a movie with my homie Chris. Shout out Chris one time. Um, And Chris, I remember during that shoot, I texted him the night before. I was like, hey, man we need a PA for this shoot. Um, call time is 4.30 in the morning. And Chris, like, came out, and he was just, like, grinding his ass off. And He, he got like, that Tim Hortons for us. He yeah, got that he, breakfast he we needed. Out, <laughs> and he was just, like, a PA on the shoot. But when we walked out of the movie together and I opened up Instagram and looked at it and showed it to him, Chris was immediately hyped about it, and Chris was a PA on the shoot. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I was like, if Chris was, you know, he just helped us out for a few hours on the shoot. Like, this is like my editing work and Buxton's producing work and Phil's cinematography, like up there. And I was like, man, if people who, you know, were, if Chris is that hyped about it, like, that's, yeah, that's, it was kind of just put it all into perspective. Like, that is pretty crazy that that just exists, like, up there. Yeah. And that's yeah. like the stuff that, like, we've done. It yeah. elevates everyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, at the end of the day for us, it's like, oh, cool. Like, you know, view count is just a number or whatever. But, you know, for someone that's, you know, working on the set or whatever and seeing how their input actually changed a project or like how it came to life or something like that. That's so gratifying for creatives. Like, you know, it could be something as small as a PA or, you know, Josh editing or something like that. Seeing how it comes together and like seeing the finished project to an extent. Like we joke about like, oh, we made a movie. But it's the sort of thing where it's like, oh, wow, this is actually real. This is real life. And like, you know, someone like Chris who came out or anyone that worked on that set, it was just because, yeah, it was a cool thing that we were doing at the time, having no idea that it would have that sort of reach. And it worked out in a major way. Yeah, that's good. I I feel like um, going back to what you were saying about, you know, kind of, I guess you could say the meme of the guy standing in the corner, like they don't know. I feel like um, I hit... I want to use this term loosely, but like cinematographer, film casuals will really associate a picture with the the stars of of said show or said film. And then when in reality, like I feel like the people who are doing the bulk of the load are the guys, the people that are in your positions. Um, so do you think that's something that like... Is it better that the people who know more about film and more about the industry know that you guys are really the, I guess, the ones who are really, you know... The creative force behind yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Like The people who need to know will know. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Eh? I mean, if, if, if like the general public looks at a movie for the actors who are in it, I mean, they're, they're looking at the movie in the right way because that's really the stuff that's being shoved down their throats mm-hmm. everywhere you look. Like... You know that's just that's just how people market movies. I mean, you know, I I, I mean, I wouldn't want to see an ugly cinematographer on a poster advertising a movie either. We're um, behind I'd the rather, camera for I'd a rather reason. See Zac Efron or something like that. Yeah. You know, with or without the chin surgery. Uh, probably, uh, probably. Uh, no, I won't shame him. Uh, with is fine. Okay, with is fine. okay, yeah, okay. that's no, acceptable. He's, to a, you. he's a, yeah, he's, he's he's cool for that. Yeah, but you know, um, someone like Buxton, who's a producer. He's working the business side of things. Yeah. Even within our creative circles, 
you know, the broader film scene in Toronto, for example, there's like levels to it. It's like the public doesn't think about the creatives. The creatives don't think about the business. And I don't know what the business doesn't think about, but there's just like a deeper layer to it always that people often don't acknowledge. And like someone like Buxton, who is a producer and, you know, to put it in the broader business term, like basically a project manager at times or client liaisons type thing. That is so hugely important. And someone who's just coming out of art school with an arts background, they have no idea where to even begin with creative entrepreneurship. So maybe you can speak on that and get on your pedestal for a second of how important having that business knowledge is in this sort of scene. Only like 20 seconds, though, because I can't listen to that for too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, nothing, you know, unless unless if you don't want to make money, you need to put a great deal of care into managing relationships with people forming new relationships with people and you know just smoothing out the process for the person who's footing the bill for for a production um a lot of uh you know a lot of creatives uh it's just not something that they think about and you know for me like getting into this industry i came in with no experience or education in film i, I came from business school yeah um it it frustrated me and while it's gotten easier it still makes me like want to tear my hair out at how bad people you know creatives tend to be at just managing relationships with uh with clients um, because we, at the end of the day, people are only going to do business with people that they like and yeah. trust. Yeah. Um, and if you mess with that in any way, you're not going to get you're not going to get called again. Even if you do a, a perfect, really good job on the video, or it looks beautiful, the results are excellent. Yeah. It looks great, everything like that. But if you're not actually putting the client first and just making them feel like they're heard and actually listening to what they want beyond just thinking about, oh, how good is this going to look on my reel? Um, that's how you get called back. Yeah. <laughs> and mm -hmm. getting called back is the most important thing because we're not we're not doing this just to have fun. We are having fun. Yeah. But, but there's here, other reasons. We're here to run a business and we're yeah. going to actually have careers here. I got to yeah. pay yeah. rent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially in this city. Yeah. yeah that's God. crazy. But, you know, and that's kind of what the magic is between the three of us like we all come to the table with our own unique skills and unique sensibilities and whatever you want to call it it's like you know i have i would say a decent sense of entrepreneurship things like that but i don't have the depth that buxton has and then willick for example like you know he has a great sense of creative output things like that but like he doesn't have the skills i have and then around the table around the table around the table type thing so it's like we each complement each other and have enough knowledge to know what the other person is talking about but right. we also trust what that other person is doing so it's like when buxton tells me like hey we got to do this thing in terms of how we're running the business right now we're going to hire these people or get this firm on or whatever i go okay like yeah it, yeah it, it, i remember i had a prof in undergrad and he very successfully was running a creative agency and he was saying that you know him as the boss he brings on people around him that he knows and trusts for their skills and what have you if one of the people that he brought into his circles and trust couldn't walk into his office and convince him on something in 15 minutes he doesn't want that person in his life anymore right because if that person is going to present an idea to him he wants them to a be so sure of it but b 
know how it's going to benefit the situation, be able to sell him on that. So with that in mind, it's like, you know, my partners, they're my equals in this marriage, if you want to call it that. And I trust them for what they're bringing to the table. If it's Buxton telling me something business-wise, if it's Wilk telling me something creative-wise, I know what they're bringing to me is perfectly legitimate and just as legitimate as like, you know, my thoughts on the matter. And it teaches you to listen to an extent. But at the end of the day, having the three unique perspectives that we bring to the table, I think it's so valuable and something I don't see a lot, even as narrow as a partnership versus like more broadly, three people having those different voices, especially we always have a tiebreaker on matters. So that's handy too. And, you know, I, I look at people around me where, you know, they're starting to get into business. They're starting to make a more formal push into production. They're doing a fantastic job putting the art first. But at the end of the day, if your business isn't sound, you're not going to be able to pro- progress or grow or anything like that because that's just how a business works. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I came out of undergrad having a decent knowledge of like film production things like that but not much knowledge in business so then that turning around and going like okay you're now running an actual corporation you're running a business you're an entrepreneur now you're thrown in the deep end yeah you got to learn everything yourself and you and you know something that's so valuable is you know reaching out to people going on google finding what the cra tells you about something stuff like that it's like they're skills that art students traditionally don't have and i don't blame the systems for that because you know that's usually not what you're going to school for but hopefully this conversation can reveal for people it's like yeah while we are very outwardsly focused with like the creative and something we say often is you know the work comes first the work should sell itself there's a whole other depth to the iceberg of like why the business is successful do you think that schools can, like, the school in particular can do a better job at preparing students for yes. all of it? A yeah. million percent. <clears throat> I'm just going to stop you right there, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I I am now teaching at what was once Ryerson, TMU, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have no great desire to be in academia or anything like that, but the reason I've come in in this capacity is to overhaul curriculum, to show, you know, profs that I know and respect how things can be changed to better orient the skills that they're learning for the industry these students are about to step out into. And so for me, that's, you know, teaching in the cinematography course. I'm bringing, you know, my contacts and experiences I can give to these students. And But it's also, I'm overhauling how the assignments are done. Something as simple as like, okay, you're going to change this midterm project to be something that is useful for their portfolios. And when I'm teaching, it's like, okay, I'm going to give these students these skill sets that I know they can take this half hour little course that I'm giving them and get hired for a certain job, a very specific role based off that. And I've had this debate with so many professors, so many people in the administration. At the end of the day, they are saying this is university and they are very firm that TMU is a university and they're not there for job skills, they're there for academia. They say, if you want job skills, go to a college. And I think it's such a horse blinders on, shove your head in the sand type thing because, you know, I had a very good education when I was here, but you're not preparing students for the reality of the world. And so that's in small part, if I can affect that, that's why I come back to teach. Right. If that was true, 
about it not being only academia, not about jobs, the program that I did at Ted Rogers would have been one semester instead <laughs> exactly. of four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see yourself going into a film after? Like, is that something that you always wanted to pursue? Or did you know you were, you were going to be a, a business guy? You maybe didn't know which field or, or did you know it was film? Well, that, that's the thing. Like, I, I chose to study business uh, just because I, I knew that it's the type of uh, it's the type of background that can get you through pretty much any door into an industry. Um, geez, ten four is probably like the third or fourth company that I have started. I've done all sorts of random things, like what you know, like a lemonade stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did stuff like that when I was a kid, like little lawn care businesses. Used to sell those Android TV boxes that uh, that give people uh, free TV and sell those to old people. Yeah, uh, credit you know, card fraud. Do, yeah, just yeah. Stuff, stuff like yeah. stuff like that. Um, so I, I I've always I've always felt like it, it could have been uh, pretty much pretty much anything um, because you know if with a business background you 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 get the skill set that sort of allows you to do anything yeah and when i and when i was uh when i was in university i um i took uh i took a lot of courses on entrepreneurship which is actually a pretty great program um at uh out of uh, tmu that um you know actually uh teaches you how to start like any company like any industry anything like if you just have these skills and then you know maybe maybe you don't have the skill maybe you don't have the skills to actually apply it to a specific industry maybe you can find partners something like that um you can really make anything happen if, if you just have that uh, basis of knowledge and does that help you guys kind of network with people like i know you've worked with some uh some like stars like Neiman As, for example. You guys, I, I saw in your Instagram story, you're working with him. So, uh, what is the importance of knowing how to network in this industry? It's, it's, I feel like it almost makes a lot of your success is if you know how to make those connections. I'm sorry, I don't know who Nima is. I thought we were in a room with Gary V at the time. Um, <laughs> what no, was no. that like? <laughs> No, I. Oh, it, yeah, it was. It was. Was great. he just impersonating Gary Vee the whole time? He, he was just Gary Vee the whole time. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, no, like uh, honestly, that that is that's that's like that's like all of it. Like it's kind of what Buxton was talking about before. Like I don't know. You just need to know how to, you know, relationships. Just just yeah. maintain relationships yeah. and and just you know almost in a way like put put people before like yourself and just you know not be so transactional i see a lot of people being so transactional with the way that they approach people and work with people and yeah i mean it's just like you gotta you gotta be friends with someone first before you take the next step to work with them i think is is like the biggest thing um because you know if that doesn't happen and that's not something you can force either like that's something that just has to happen organically then like nothing can come out of that um if you just don't have that good relationship with them, I guess. Yeah, in in any in any creative field, ev- literally everything is arbitrary. Uh, the cost of everything arbitrary. Yeah. Quality of the work arbitrary. Whether or not it's completed arbitrary. Everything is arbitrary. 
So the only thing that you can do to actually like hold everything together is to just have a good relationship with who you're working with mm -hmm. because that's the only thing that is binary where it's like do you have a good relationship yes or no you know and that that's that's what's going to determine if they're going to keep coming back because yeah. in any project there's always going to be issues because everything is arbitrary <laughs> and in a more concrete way too in terms of knowing people and how that can benefit you i put this into the perspective of you know someone who's coming through school or whatever like that someone that's finishing it up the people that you meet in your undergrad program around you, those are going to be the people you're entering the industry with. And those are going to be the ones that are going to reach out to you and say, hey, I need this person for lighting or I need this person as a costume designer. I need right, whatever. Yeah. They're going to go to who they know. So make yourself known. Build relationships with the people around you. you know, be a good person. Like just, you know, someone that people want to be around. And, you know, there's the benefit of being able to work on these sets with people in school. So get to know them that way. And then when someone who makes it big and becomes a director or gets their first funding as a producer or whatever, they're probably going to reach out to the people they know and trust because it's a lot easier to hire not someone who's strictly a friend, but you know someone who you've worked with before you have a rapport with than a completely random person, a person that's a referral, a person that's just a CV hitting your desk. And I hear it a lot from people, especially where I'm at, where I'm you know, teaching upper year students, they're starting to realize like, hey, I'm in fourth year and I didn't want to get involved with the politics. I didn't want to get involved with the cliques, the whatever. They realized, oh no, I had the complete wrong approach and I don't know anyone leaving school. Yeah. And, you know, I put that in like very social constructy terms, but like these students are telling me like, oh, my biggest regret is not networking more. And you know, Will, like you can speak on this, but at the end of the day, like our undergrads mostly were, we did a few creative projects that we liked, but it was all getting to know people and networking. Yeah. I mean, the thing I'd say about that is like, that is quite literally the number one reason why I would recommend anyone to go into film school, media school, I don't know, photography school, any creative field in post-secondary education that is the number one reason i'd recommend anyone to do it um and you could argue maybe the only good reason in some cases uh to do that is literally just to meet people and network i, I think that's like it's just so insanely valuable and it yeah i guess like you know it, it was really lost for a lot of people i think i would um, say though you don't have to be in school to network. No, and, you don't. You yeah. don't have to do that. But yeah. if you if you do decide to go forward and do that, that I, I would say that is the best thing that would ever come out of having a post secondary education is yeah. making those connections. You have to make the most out of it. You have to give yourself those own opportunities. Yeah. Like, you know, I look at how Willick and I started working together. That was a cinematography course project that I was just like, hey, I want to do something a lot bigger than the scope of this class. Let me bring on someone from even outside the course, which was Willick at the time, mm -hmm. to help me work on this. And so I met him. I built that relationship and whatever as a result. But it's like I applied that to everything else throughout school where it's like, okay, you got to give yourself the opportunities. you got to make the most of like what projects you may be presented with. Like, I was very on the fence about it, but I ended up doing a master's after my undergrad. And the master's program itself was, eh? like, you know, it was 
very academically based as a master's may be, and I had a creative project portion to it. But I was able to self-direct and cater the curriculum in a way that throughout the project, the things I worked on ended up being beneficial for my career and 10-4 by extension. You know, I got the other guys involved where I could. We shot a clothing campaign, an editorial series on 16 millimeter film, because that was one of the research areas that I was doing for my master's paper. Uh, I did a lot of research into color science, comparing different formats, things like that. These all ended up being facets of what we use for, to an extent, our marketing material now to show in a tangible way what makes our work different, what you know makes that 10-4 picture come to life. So it's like a lot of what I was doing throughout school, even at that higher level in my master's, I was aware it's like, okay, I need to make this valuable to myself, not only for my assignments, but also for my larger career. Right. Do you guys have, oh, excuse me, haven't had enough water today. And I don't have any water in the studio because that'd be silly. No fun for you. No. Um, Do you guys, is there anybody that you uh, dream of working with? If, is there like one person or a few people in particular, maybe a company that you'd be like, man, I would love to do a project with them? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, oh man. Like an- anyone. I can pick from anyone. Yeah, anybody you'd like. Huh. Here, I can jump in here in the yeah. meantime. The people that I like kind of idolized to an extent are not strictly those that I'd want to work with, you know? Like, there are some mm-hmm. people that, you know, I've even met, like uh, Roger Deakins, who I'd say is, like, you know, the greatest cinematographer of our time. That's someone who's great, fantastic human being, but I'm never going to work with him, you know? Like, he's got his own career in Hollywood, and i am got my own career. So it's like, you know, there's people like that that I look at in idol status, but then there's people around me where it's like, oh, just creatives that I like, that sort of thing. And so I'd say there's a bit of a difference between, for me at least, those that I look at and it's like, wow, I like really respect your work within my field, but I probably won't work with you because cinematographers rarely work with each other. So it's more so like in my case would be, oh, is there a director I really like? Is there some other aspect or a role that I can look up to? And so I know this is a very meandering answer to your question. No, it's, a, it's, it's actually a very good answer. It's one I didn't expect, but it's good. But yeah, it's like the people that I look up to and the people that I'd work with, I think are kind of mutually exclusive. Okay. Have you guys run into uh, any like horror stories on set? Like All the time. How, many, of, how much time yeah. do you have? <laughs> uh, 11 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we have, yeah, we, we have some, we could probably tell some pretty funny stories. Um, I by think, all means. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to just differences of expectations. I think that's like a huge thing at the end of the day. You know, when we were starting out and we were doing budgets for next to nothing, you know, because we were just starting out. The the artist, for example, if we're doing a music video, the one that's spending their last dollar on a project is going to be a lot more intense about everything than mm. like someone who has like 50,000 bucks to throw at it. Right. Yeah. You can go the other way though. Yeah. Uh, DNL. A DNL? Yeah. True. Yeah. And Shout okay. out. What's DNL? DNL was that first music video oh. we did with Fab, the one we drove out for. Yeah. Mm. The guy the guy spent, I don't know, s- 10 grand something, cash? something like 10k in cash on a music video and he showed up six hours late to the, the first, first day. day of the shoot, and day two, the second and final day, 
completely no-showed it. Really? Yeah. yeah. But he still spent that yeah. money? So, yeah. like, do you get that money? How does yeah, that we work? we got it. In cash. Yeah. Whoa. And does the... But do you, does like did this music video still work yeah. out? Yeah, it, it the editor had to stress stuff. Yeah. It definitely yeah. wasn't what the director was expecting, but the music video did come out. It was good. First you time, know. shout out Fab for putting uh, Terrence Malick in a uh, rap treatment. That was a wild one. It was def- it definitely turned out way different than Tree of Life? A bold let me tell you. creative choice. Yeah, um, but yeah. Yeah, it's like people and. You know, again, boiling it down, it's like no respect for the time. Like, oh God, what's that music video we I always mean, watch? I mean, the, like DNL didn't even know DNL was going to a shoot that day, so <laughs> like, <laughs> there was that. Wait, wait what video? Well, the music video where like the editor slash director cuts. Oh it yeah, with... it's the Young Thug Wyclef Jean yes, video. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that we literally lived through that, and then didn't, and then you know didn't make the video like that, but. Yeah. We we live through the Y Club Gene video, like yeah, in real life. Yeah, sometimes they have really tiny budgets. That usually means they're going to be a pain. Mm-hmm. And then if they have big budgets, it means they're going to be so passive that it will be a detriment to the project. Yeah, yeah. oh my god. <laughs> like they'll want to kind of control. They'll want to kind of do your jobs at the same time. Oh, like, yeah, or oh, just yeah. the time. Yeah, really, eh? Yeah. Like there, there's some people that go like. Oh, and this is in Will's case, like, I want to co-direct with you. Like, that's a, that's a classic one. And then... Yeah, I feel like they're... that's not really su- supposed to be an option, though, right? Like, yeah. It's not... It, 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 it's not efficient. That's not an no. efficient workflow at all. Um, I mean, yeah, we've had some... We've had some crazy cases where, like, you know, these type of clients that Buxton's talking about, you know, with, with the smaller budgets, like, you know, they... they because they're stretching dollars and they want so much control like you know i've I've literally gotten texts from like you know months years after shoots that we've done you know trying to exert even more control over projects which is like hey can we make these changes to the which is like yo guys like it's done now like we're we've finished and you know how Kobe said, "Job not finished. <laughs> job, job is finished. <laughs> job is very finished." Like w- when we came into it at the beginning, you know, we were, we were so focused on, just building a portfolio for ourselves. Yeah. Like at the beginning, and that's why I was saying, you know, we're taking on those low budget, no budget projects just to have something good. And like to this day, I'm still proud of the stuff we did, and like you know how we maximize those resources. But those initial people broke their toy. And, like, going forward, a lot of the things that, you know, we've seen go so wrong of, like, people pushing their luck and trying to just, like, take advantage of us, that's where it's, like, now, okay, we need to be a lot more heavy-handed with some things. Like, oh, here's here's a good business thing for uh, art students to take note of. Contracts. Yeah. Have a contract. It doesn't need to be a 17-page legal document that has every clause you can imagine. But just get something in writing. Like... It can be an email. It can be a text message. It can be whatever. Just have a literal thing where everyone just signs off on something. Like, and I'll, I'll give you the basics here. It's like budget. Okay, how much budget? Paid when? That sort of thing. Everyone knows when the money is coming in. Great. Editing. How many revisions? And like by revisions, like we've gotten pretty firm with it. It's like okay, in an initial budget, you'll get say like two revisions. That sort of thing. Anything after that, you pay for because we've seen it 
time after time where if there's no hard limit, and this is with artists for music videos, this is with clients for commercial stuff, if there's no limit, they will keep coming back, asking, 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 asking for more. And it's like, it's just abusive of editors. Like they're not, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just one thing to say about that. It's like, you know, a lot of this has to do with, I mean, and it's, it's you know, unfortunate the way that things kind of line up this way. But I mean, for the most profitable jobs that we've had, often commercial, um, I mean, you know, like some music videos have been all right too, but obviously less profitable than commercials. You're always in service of someone else. Yeah. On commercials, on music videos, you're always in service of someone else. So that person, whoever it is, the client, the artist, they know you're there to serve them. And so the expectations become quite high mm-hmm. a lot of the time. On narrative stuff, often, you know, for smaller narrative projects even you know the feature like you're only in service of you like that's like the vision for you. director like you're making creativity. that for yourself yeah. so there's this weird thing where like you know it becomes difficult even though you're making like you're making more but it becomes way more difficult because you have this other party the client or artist barking up your tree the whole time yeah and would you so that's more nerve-wracking would you say is yeah we've had cases where it's like insanely nerve-wracking and drawn out and and difficult but we've also had cases where it's actually really streamlined and you know people are quite respectful and thankful of yeah the work we put in it really like you know there's no telling like we we you know every time we we kind (laughs) of come onto a project it's like someone putting a blindfold around us and shoving us into a dark room but that said you know that's why the people that we continue to work with we continue to work with them because you know it's once you find that good client once you find someone who you really get along with that's when it's like, okay, this is a good thing. Keep yeah. this going, that sort of thing. Definitely. And yeah, it's just at, at the end of the day, it's like as long as everyone's respectful and there for the same reasons, that's great. But it's when there's like a mismatch in terms of those expectations. It's like when we're doing a commercial job, it's like this is for no great love of your soda or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like we're all here for the same reason. This it is, can be sometimes, though. It, it mm-hmm. can be. If it's a good product. The, the point I'm making here is it's like, you know, we're here because we're running a business and you're here because you're running a business as well. And like, you know, it is truly an exchange of services or money for services. Um, so those sorts of things. Well, Sorry, did you guys hear that? Yeah, I did yeah, hear that. Then, yeah. Oh, man. That was weird. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, wrapping that up, it was just going to say like, yeah, like, you know, if you're there for a job. I would expect the client to know that, you know, while we here are here to give our, our all creatively, whatever, yeah. it is also a job. And, like, you need to treat us with the same respect. And also, like, hiring practices, legal protections, whatever, of, like, the broader labor market. Because, you know, there's some stuff that I see in the film industry where it's like, whoa, that's actually crazy. Like, that that's, like, actually out of hand. But people do it in the service of art or whatever. Like, not to go down this ramp, but, like, 20-hour workdays. That's Where ridiculous. else do you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. but, you know, people are just like grinding at it for like the creative output. Well, that's the industry, right? Like, it's. Should it l- be, though? That's the question. I don't know. I always, I, I used to. I, when I was at the gym, I used to listen to the, the, the rock, like motivational videos <laughs> on YouTube, and he's going, just finish a 16 hour day on set. Yeah. Now I'm hitting chest for four hours. 
It's about drive. It's about power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've actually heard some horror stories about The Rock. Like, apparently, he'll show up four hours late on set, and if his stuff isn't being shot first, he's like, well, just let's just shoot my stuff. Like, he, I've, I've heard yeah, some he's, nightmare. He's, he's four hours late because he slammed an entire bottle of Terramana tequila before arriving <laughs> on set. Oh, man. If we had more time, I, I could go into that. Look, guys, got about a minute and a half left. Is there anything you guys want to promote? Is there anything that the people should know uh, 10 4 is working on right now, or is it all a, a big secret? No, it's uh, out in the public. Like, you know, we just released the Rebel campaign that we shot. There's no place like Rebel. And, uh, that's the title, and it's the truth of it. But, uh, yeah, go give that a watch. It's on our Instagram. And, uh, yeah, had a really good time shooting that one. And the Instagram is at 104 pictures, right? Exactly. Yeah, drop okay. a follow. Drop yeah, a follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, boys. Well, look, uh, I don't have much else. I got through all my questions here. I had some in bold, which were ones I needed to ask, and some in not bold. But I guess that's just... Now I'm just trying to fill time, I guess. Now I'm just talking <laughs> How much time to do we have to fill? 64 seconds? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Sweet. All right. Yeah. Box, best story from set right now. Go. 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 Yeah, in a minute. <laughs> best story from set. Jeez, you're putting me on the spot there. Honestly, I, I think like it, it would just have to be DNL every single time. It was the first... <laughs> uh, it's it the was the so first, high. the first like uh, really project that we ever did for a client, and it was just like, just completely insane having this yeah. crazy Congolese rapper, uh, you know, showing up four hours late to set and driving around in his Mercedes, smoking cigarettes and carrying cash around <laughs> i don't know and then that, when he didn't show up for day two he just disappeared off the face of earth for actually the, yeah. la the last thing i will say is my the last time i ever saw dnl in my entire life which was the end of the first day on set, 10 seconds and <laughs> it's okay we can stretch it and in. he was in a matte red mercedes like crazy mercedes sedan with the full amg package it was matte red he was sitting with his boy in the car and everyone's wrapping out they're ready to pull out of this driveway and dnl looks at me through the window and he rolls the window down and he pauses for a second and we lock eyes and he goes he puts down his cartier shades he puts down his cartier shades and he goes see you tomorrow bro and then he rolls up the window and then they peel out of the driveway so fast like they were in the millennium falcon and then i never saw him <laughs> again gravel wow. everywhere he said see you tomorrow bro i went up i did not see him the next day Legend i went to meet it. up with that guy for a second for to plan a second video out uh months later yeah and i drove out it was like a 45 minute drive to the meetup spot and i get there he never showed up. He didn't answer any of my calls. I was like, all right, I guess DNL is just being DNL again. Jeez. Two days later, I get a message from him. At like 2 a.m. Bro, I was arrested on the way to meet up with you. <laughs> I just got my phone <laughs> on back. The way? I just got yeah. out of jail. And that was my last interaction with he him. He was probably still in that same drive in the matte red uh, Mercedes. <laughs> probably. <Yeah>. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys look thank you so much for coming in i really really appreciate it thank this you, episode Sam. if by the grace of god it uh someone in the uh, studio press recording will be on uh spotify and apple Podcasts within the next few days cool. um 10-4 pictures 10-4 pictures of their website at 10-4 pictures on instagram um that's all i got and you are awesome. sam bird uh, that's and i'm sam bird yeah that's part of it too yeah all right thank you so much guys love it take Thanks, it easy Sam. It's like a dream of mine so to sure. completely blow out and like have to restructure my knee. We've communicated yeah. and said, you know what? Lion tastes good. 
Let's go get some more lion. Cindy! The TV's leaking! McLovin? Yeah. Today is Thomas Cup's birthday, and this is Project X. Yo, 